Hey guys, before we get started with the episode, I just have two announcements to make. One, uh, I have the Jibs Journal is out now. I send a weekly journal uh, through email every single week that covers uh, episode highlights, tips and tricks that the entrepreneurs in the show have gone over, um, and just other cool things that are happening. If you're interested in being subscribed to that journal, uh, the link is in the description. The second announcement is I've released a course. Uh, so the course is how to crowdfund for your passion project or side hustle. Uh, I crowdfunded over $65,000 in less than 90 days um, through my organization called Research Detroit. Uh, and the, the class is going to cover you know, the nitty-gritty details on, on how I did that, how I delega- delegated the tasks with my team, the templates, the samples. Um, it goes into full detail on how to run an effective crowdfunding campaign. Um, so if you're interested in taking that course, the link is in the description as well. It's just about getting up and doing it and like, you know, finding the time, finding the people and making it happen. You take control and you say, okay, this needs to be done and you do it. And you're never ready to start a business. You <laughs> just either, you either do it or you don't. Welcome to the Jibs Podcast, showcasing Detroit's movers and shakers, bringing you stories that reveal the gusto and grit that's long defined the city and its people. Together, we'll uncover the history and direction of the Motor City, one voice at a time. This is the Jibs Podcast with Jabron Ahmed. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 21 of the Jibs Podcast. I got a really exciting episode here today. I'm with Ned Stabler, the CEO of Tech Town and Vice President of Wayne State. Uh, how are you doing this morning, man? I'm doing really well. Yeah. Thanks for coming in. Absolutely. Thanks for taking this uh, taking this time. Uh, can you let's just get right into it? Can you yep. explain what Tech Town is and a little bit about yourself too? Sure. So Tech Town is Detroit's oldest business incubator and accelerator. Been here about 15 years. We do. Uh, it, we have uh, acceleration and incubation uh, programming in both the technology space and the non-technology space, as well as we also have uh, physical real estate, uh, co-working, office, and lab space uh, here in a 130,000 square foot facility, as well as some uh, newer spaces coming online. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about your, yourself? Sure. Um, so I'm originally born and raised in Detroit, although I uh, grew up half the time in Ann Arbor, so I kind of have my... F- in feet in both worlds. Yeah. Uh, went to Detroit Public Schools through sixth grade, then U of D uh, high. Um, went off in, uh, to the East Coast uh, for college at Harvard and then was going to uh, do some business for a couple years before coming back here, but got caught in sort of the fintech uh, mm-hmm. banking world for about 10 years uh, before doing a master's degree at the London School of Economics on what we would call sort of political economy. And then came back here uh, in 05 and worked for about five years at the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, um, running over innovation-based economic development programming for the state. Came down to Wayne State about seven years ago uh, and uh, assumed Tech Town as part of my responsibilities about three years ago. Okay. So I've uh, been part of Tech Town for three years. Yeah. Um, can you talk about what Tech Town was three years ago and what it is today? Yeah, so actually, um, I've been on the board at TechTown for about 10 years. Yeah. So back when I was at MEDC, I actually helped fund uh, some activities that were here. Uh, and then obviously when I came down to Wayne State, I was very you know much more involved uh, while I was here. And... Um, but just you know the changes over time i can so i can go back and give a little more context you know we were originally created to commercialize technology out of the university and the health system and i think very quickly we realized we should be a, a community accelerator as well so we took some some technology uh, uh we worked with entrepreneurs who were not just 
uh, from the university. Mm. Um, in the downturn, we pivoted a little bit to work with entrepreneurs more than businesses. So we ran a fast track program that trained thousands of people on how to be an entrepreneur. And then after that, uh, in sort of 10 and 11, we pivoted back away from entrepreneurs, sort of, we jokingly said who were in the pre-idea stage, like they wanted to be an entrepreneur, but they didn't necessarily have a business yet. Right. And said, let's focus on people who actually have a business. You know, they might not have incorporated it yet, but they actually, this is what they're going to be doing. They got a plan. And we, so we've, we've moved a little bit uh, more into that space. And then around that same time, in, like in, in 11 and 12, we created a set of programmings that weren't technology. So that was a big piece of our evolution. We took the same principles of acceleration, uh, you know, customer discovery and, and business model canvas, those kinds of things, and said, you know what, those apply whether you're building a mobile app or a medical device or selling brownies or cutting hair. You still need to figure out what your clients want, how they want it, what, how you're different from everybody else in the market, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we morphed that way. And now this year we're launching a nonprofit center based on sort of the same principles. How do we get nonprofits uh, to think more about who they're serving, how they're uh, delivering those services, how they're different uh, from other folks, how they're collaborating with other nonprofits, et cetera? Yeah, I mean that's I think that's great because I know that from my own experience, foundations are becoming more uh, I guess stingent on data-driven metrics and all this stuff, uh, which. For smaller nonprofits, can be kind of tough, but I'm, that's a, that's awesome that you guys are doing that. It is. I mean, helping nonprofits understand how how to sell themselves better to philanthropy, to be able to tell their story better, uh, to give them some of those tools, to help them build that capacity, is really important. We also want to make sure they're serving clients better and that they have a, a an understanding of how they're doing that. And with program evaluation tools, what's working, what's not working, are they meeting their clients where they where they uh, where they need? Which is exactly what a tech company needs to do. You know, yeah. trying to figure out what's the business model for this app. Are we going to give it away? Is it uh, are we going to sell subscription? Is it going to be cloud based? Is it is it going to be uh, uh, license based? How how are we doing this? Uh, what's the right price point? Uh, for this. So it's the same kind of thing in the nonprofit space. Yeah, I agree. Um, so you kind of mentioned, um, you know, TechTown had pivoted a couple of times. So mm-hmm. uh, can you talk about the obstacles that you ran into or that TechTown ran into when growing, especially in the beginning stages? Yeah, so, so there are a lot, right? So TechTown's a nonprofit. We are loosely affiliated with Wayne State and with Henry Ford Health System. Um, so some of the obstacles were branding issues. People initially would say, oh, well, you, you know, you're, you're a Wayne State entity. Well, uh, I'm not a part of Wayne State, so that's not for me. Or you're connected to a hospital. Well, I'm not doing healthcare. And even later, as we started pivoting into or expanding into non-tech programs, you've got a, a big fancy building called Tech Town next to a hospital and a university. And I'm starting a restaurant in a neighborhood somewhere. Clearly, that's not for me, right? Um, so those are, those are an important set of barriers we've worked hard to overcome. Funding is a, is a constant one, especially as you went through sort of 2009, 2010 and the downturn uh, time frame. Uh, you know, money was pretty tight. The corporates dried up almost completely. The state government struggled uh, mightily at, at having money. So there weren't a lot of places. Uh, the, we were fortunate enough that philanthropy stepped in. Folks like the New Economy Initiative were our biggest funders during those times and really helped us keep the lights on. But they were, they were hard times, especially when you look at um, you know, you mentioned philanthropy being looking for a little more metrics and they're always talking about sustainability. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're serving a population that, that they're using you because they can't afford 
the, to get these services elsewhere, there isn't really a business model that says, aha, I'll, I'll use earned revenue and earned income to, to, to offset this. So you have to have philanthropy. I always joke with some of our funders that when they say sustainability, I say, oh, my sustainability plan? Well, I'm going to stop asking you for money, and I'm going to ask them for money. Right. From your point of view, it's sustainable, right? right? But the reality is my customer can't afford to pay for it. So there isn't a model that works really well to make us long-term sustainability. So the funding and, and then sort of uh, brand identity are probably our biggest challenges. I see. Uh, so... Going from talking about tech town to, I guess, the ecosystem as a whole, um, Detroit's becoming a name for, for tech and for entrepreneurships or for startups. I mean, we're, we're Startup Week is this week, yeah. um, which is awesome, and they have a lot of great workshops. But mm -hmm. for, uh, in your experience, what kind of advice would you give to somebody that's either listening or watching that wants to start their own? company or startup? Well, this is going to be a little counterintuitive. You expect the guy who runs a startup incubator to be like, yeah, do it. All right. You should, everyone should start things up. I mean, um, I'd say no. I mean, this is the easy time to get out yeah. because if you're not a thousand percent committed to doing this startup, you don't think this is really the best idea for you and, and, and uh, for your lifestyle, you should stop now before you sink your time, your money, your opportunity cost into uh, uh, this venture. Because I guarantee you, this is as easy as, as it's going to be. Six months from now, a year from now, 18 months from now, there will be much, much harder points along the, the curve where you will start questioning, why did I do this? Um, so if you're not sure you want to do it now, yeah, you probably shouldn't. It's sort of like when, when if, if your friend is telling you, I'm not sure I want to get married, maybe maybe she's not the right girl for me, tell them to get out now. Because it's not going to, in six months from now, a year from now, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be harder yeah. um, and it, to get out. So that's what I would tell people. Be sure you're doing it. Uh, you really want to do it, and it's the right thing for you. You know, if you need help figuring out if it's doable, how possible it is, because I know that figures into the equation, come and talk to us. That's why we're here. We're, we're, we'll sit down with anybody and, and for free and roadmap out, like, all right, what are you thinking about? Is that a real thing? How does that happen? Are there already people doing that? How will you compete with them? Um, and, and help you know, remove some of those barriers for you. If you're thinking you want to do it, but you're not sure you know how or there's support for you out there, come and talk to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think you bring up a good point that uh, at least at least what I see is that entrepreneurship has become romanticized at mm -hmm. some point mm -hmm. where people don't really understand the work that needs to be put into it or the commitment level that needs to be put into it. Yeah, uh, yeah I think that's a great point. Yeah, you, you know, everyone thinks, I'm going to go work for myself. That's right. me. Great. Well, you might not be the best boss. <laughs> you also might not be the best coworker or worker, right? Like you got no one when it's just you. You got no one else to blame. There's no one else to pick up your slack. You're the CEO, and you're the custodian, and you're the HR department, and you're uh, the sales department. Like it's it's a lot of work. It's really hard, and you know you don't turn it off at five o'clock. You don't punch out and like go home. Like, oh, I think I think I want to watch. You know. Uh, the voice now and not worry about work anymore. This is a 24 seven uh, thing when it's entrepreneurship. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I think what's really funny is like, so I've led like small teams in the past mm -hmm. and when you're a small team, everybody does everything. Mm -hmm. And that means like taking the trash out or sweeping the floor. And definitely there's been people in the past that are like, I don't, I don't do that. I'm like, no, you definitely do. Yeah. <laughs> I, look, I'm the CEO here at Tech Town. It is not unusual for you to find me, you know, sweeping up some stuff off the front steps or yeah. mopping up somewhere because I was the closest to it and there was, a, I saw a broom, right? Like it, we, the bane of my existence is when someone says, that's not my job. We're, we're a small entrepreneurial organization and we're trying to not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. And when you're an entrepreneur, there's no such thing as that's not my job. 
that's not my job is why companies go out of business mm -hmm. 5, 10, 15 years later. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's an important part of our culture here. Yeah. Um, what kind of resources would you uh, give people or lead them to if they are looking to, again, start a company? Sure. So yeah. a couple of things on that. One, I mean, we always say that our role here at TechDown is to, to connect people to the right resources at the right time. Now, we might not be that right resource, right? So a lot of folks come in our door and say, oh, I want to start up a bakery. And when we ask them, well, okay, are you in a commercial kitchen? Are you popping up? Are you selling online? How are you doing this? And they say, oh, I haven't gotten that far yet. We'll refer them to the Build Institute or to Prosper Us or SBDC or one of our partners because they have specific programs to help you when you're at that sort of level, you know, the build basics class, for example, that will help you work through what, what the business side mm -hmm. of a, a business is. Um, we're more than happy to do that. It's why if you go through those programs and you come back and you're in our retail boot camp, more than half of the, the companies that have gone through retail boot camp are now open in brick and mortar. Why? Because we don't take everybody that says, oh, I think I want to open a bakery. We want to make sure you're a serious person, you have traction for your business, you're, you know, you really know what you're getting yourself into. Um, but we can help you with business planning, with uh, product development, we can help you with funding, we can help you with customer acquisition, sales. Uh, marketing, uh, we can help you incorporate, we can help you protect your intellectual property, um, really just about any aspect of your business. If, you, if you're serious about it and you need help, uh, come and talk to us. If it's not us, we're happy to refer you to the right place. Mm -hmm. um, so taking the whole city into account, how has entrepreneurship grown in Detroit over the past five years, ten years? Yeah, I would say unevenly. Yeah. So. Um, I'm a big believer, and we here at TechDown are big believers, that Detroit's not going to be successful unless everybody gets to participate in its revitalization. Folks that have been here for a long time, folks that have stuck it out, newcomers to the community, uh, people who want to pitch in at every, every aspect of it. Um, and so it can't just be about oh, a bunch of you know 30-year-old white dudes in hoodies roll in with some earbuds and like that's going to save Detroit. That's ridiculous. Um, so we focus almost as much on the bin-ups as we do on the startups aspect of it. And we get out of uh, Midtown and Downtown, and we work in neighborhoods all over the city as well. Um, it's part of why we don't just do tech anymore, because we wanted to make sure that there were not only jobs and opportunities in neighborhoods, but also amenities for residents in those neighborhoods. Uh, you know, it sucks if you live in a neighborhood and you gotta, there's no place to buy a cup of coffee or get your dry cleaning done or buy shoes or socks or hardware, right? And you got to drive five miles when... Cars are expensive, auto insurance is expensive, transit sucks. So um, we're really committed to making sure the entire city gets to participate in it. Um, and that isn't happening as much right now. Um, you know, you, you still look at, there are some amazing things happening all over the city, mm -hmm. but you still, you know, it's the natural tendency when Ford announces they're gonna move into Corktown, woo, you know, that gets all the attention. When Gilbert says he's gonna do X, Y, or Z, or WeWork comes to town, that gets all the attention. But what happens when you know Mac Development is doing something on the east side, or or Live Six, or Grandma Rosedale Development Corp are doing things in you know Brightmore or over in Southwest somewhere? Um, you know they're they're not getting the same level of attention. They're not getting the same level of support. Now that's slowly changing as you're seeing even folks like the New Economy Initiative that once were very focused on the new economy that mm -hmm. is tech. They're now realizing that well, the new economy also includes people that have been here a long time uh, and need uh, some support to, to sort of play in that, that uh, world. Uh, but you're also seeing the JP Morgans um, of the world that are coming in and saying, we need to be very intentional about uh, geographic diversity, but also racial, ethnicity, uh, gender diversity as well. Yeah. Um, so that was a long way of saying, we've come, up, we've come yeah. 
baby steps, uh, but we got a lot more work to do. Yeah, uh, I, I do appreciate the Ford's narrative saying that uh, they don't want to be like an island, but they want to be a part of the community. They I, talk the talk good, really right, well, and that's right. great. That's you, you don't walk the walk if you don't talk the talk, right? right? I mean, I guess strong but silent or something, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. But okay, great, check. Now let's keep going and actually and live that. Because exactly. uh, there are a lot of people that have talked the talk. Some people would say we talk the talk but don't walk the walk. Yeah, I would. You know, we fight about that, but <laughs> but we certainly are trying to. Yeah. Um, but there's certainly a lot of people that talk the talk and have no intention of ever doing it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying that's, that's Ford. I'm not. I'm not pointing fingers or naming names. I'm just saying that it's not enough to make a press release uh, and then get back to business it. as usual. Yeah. The um, the Fitzgerald project. Yeah. Okay, so I was like there during the community meetings and uh, like being a part of the black clubs there. And I remember there was a uh, community meeting there and there was this lady that I was speaking to and she was like, um, you know, I know you guys are trying to turn every vacant lot into like a meadow or park or doing this thing, right? But like uh, before U of D put their fences up, they had this program where they would offer soccer or sports to kids after school so that they had something to do. Yeah. Is that gonna be here? Wow. And so... Before U of D put their fences up. So I went to U of D High yeah. in the 80s. Those fences were up then. Yeah. Uh, so I, and I grew up in the University District in the 70s. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the fences were up then. I don't know when those I, fences went up. Yeah. But. Well, she was saying that there was a program for kids. Like, it doesn't, I, I, would, so, I bet you if you went and talked to President Garibaldi, he'd, he'd tell yeah. you the 12 programs they have, yeah. uh, or the 20 or 200 programs they have. I don't, you know, I don't know exactly. Um, but fences are a real thing, yeah. and they're also a, a psychological thing. Yeah. Uh, we used to have a whole system of programs uh, we, at Wayne State, we still do, we call porous borders. It's all about mm-hmm. getting people to understand that the university is a space that they're allowed to and are welcome in. Yeah. And that getting people on the campus to realize the city has a, a lot of wonderful amenities that they're allowed to go to and are welcome in. Yeah. And getting people on and off campus because um, I think that's how you activate a university to its fullest. Now, University of Detroit has a ton of great programs like that, so yeah. I don't mean to say they're not doing it. Yeah. Uh, walls are a psychological barrier, though. I mean, you see it and you think, aha, I'm, a, I'm only welcome on this side of the, the wall, not the other. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Detroit, again. It's growing in, in entrepreneurship and the resources that it has um, citywide. Um, it's not like a San Francisco or New York or L.A., but uh, where is Detroit strong in this aspect and where is it lacking? Yeah, so when we're not a New Yorker or San Francisco or whatever, yeah. we're never going to be, and I'm cool with that, yeah. right? Like, you look at the massive amounts of inequity and inequality that are happening in, in those communities, um, and okay. You know, we have a chance to, an opportunity to be really thoughtful about how we, we grow and develop. We did not do that 100 years ago. We grew in a really unsustainable, inequitable way. So we have another chance now to do that better. So, for example, um, uh, at TechTown, our entrepreneurs are uh, 70% of them uh, are not white. Um, about 35% of them are over the age of 50. And about 35%, uh, 33% are women. And even on the tech side, uh, you're still 70% not white and 20% women. Now you say, oh, only 20% women, that's really bad. Well, the national average is eight and a half. So go out to Silicon Valley and you won't find a whole lot of women in tech. Here we're two and a half times that. We still have a lot of, a lot of uh, room to grow. It should be closer to 50%. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
uh, I think that's a, a, a huge strength that we have, that we are we have a chance to leapfrog them in a much more sustainable growth pattern. That is recognizing that we get strength from our diversity and from our representation from all types of communities, not just, oh, uh, you're a 28-year-old white dude in a hoodie, therefore let's hire five more more like you and you can hire five more like you, mm -hmm. which I think has been a little bit of the sort of the tech bro culture in other places. Mm -hmm. um, and where do you think we're strong? Diversity. I mean, Diversity. We, we, oh, yeah. we have that ability. Um, you know, we talk a lot about talent um, here uh, and we talk a lot about the lack of talent and sure by some me measures that a lot of people use around oh, college degrees and whatnot it's not good um, but you don't also you don't have to have a college degree to be an entrepreneur you know uh, we can all come up with lots and lots of very famous very now wealthy successful entrepreneurs uh, who, who didn't go to college or didn't finish college um, but they were smart they knew how to hustle we got a whole saying right Detroit hustles harder. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, um, we have a very resilient population here. That uh, uh, you know, to throw out another cheesy adage, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, we got a lot of necessity, uh, and we got a smart people. Um, if we help, you know, spark they've sparked the fire. If we help throw the, the gas on the flames, yeah. I think that's a huge area of strength for us yeah. to solve urban challenges that are uh, uh, that are very scalable. That that is that. San Francisco's, New York's, uh, Paris's, Cairo's, uh, Tokyo's have these kinds of urban challenges too, mm -hmm. and we can address them here in Detroit. Uh, so you, you kind of answered my next question, but um, do I get bonus points for that? You get a million brownie points. Awesome. <laughs> uh, so, not just talking about entrepreneurship, but Detroit as a whole. What makes this city so special to you? Well, partly because it's home. You know, uh, it's where I was born. Uh, it's it's it's. Uh, it, it's an amazing place in many ways. You know, people always, we have, we have this ongoing debate here, and I've been on both sides of it over the last 45 years of, you know, who's a real Detroiter and who's not. You know, there's some people that say, unless you were born, raised, public school, never left, lived in this, you know, inside uh, eight mile your entire life, you're not a real Detroiter. Mm -hmm. um, there are other people that are on the other side that I don't care if you just, you know, if you want to be a Detroiter, you're a Detroiter, right? We need all hands on deck. Um, I'm a believer that you're a Detroiter as soon as you establish a uh, love-hate relationship with the city. If you just love the city because you read about it in the New York Times one day or you move to town and you're like, oh, Slows and the DIA, this is awesome, right? Uh, yeah, you're not quite there yet. Right. And if you just hate the city because, oh, this is the worst place ever and you know, I live in pick some suburb and Chesterfield Township and I would never go down there with those people and I hate the city. Yeah, you're not a Detroiter. Because Detroit is a fabulous place. That's some of the most amazing things and assets and people uh, in the world. It's also a frustrating and, you know, God, I want to strangle this city sometimes <laughs> right. for how, how frustrating and uh, it can be. So um, that's why Detroit to me it is this perfect combination of, of beauty and grace and intelligence and frustration and dysfunction and stupidity all in the same same package. Mm -hmm. so. That's a great answer. Uh, so moving away from Detroit, moving away from Tech Town, let's just talk about you for a second. Cool. Uh, so, I mean, you're, you're the CEO of Tech Town, you're Vice President of Wayne State, so you, you know, you've had this journey where you've been through a lot of different things, right? Mm -hmm. So do you think that there's a, a life event or something in your life that has kind of led you to this point that is, you know, this is what I want to be doing? So, 
yes and no. Like, I'm not a big believer that everything happens for a reason and yeah. one door closes and another opens. Like, those are things we tell each tell ourselves to, like, make us feel better about our journey. And that's important, right? That's human psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that I, I've learned a lot more uh, from my failures than from my successes, which, again, I think is human nature. Because when we succeed, what do we do? We pat ourselves on the back and go, of course we succeeded. I'm really smart. I'm good at this, right? But it's when we fail is when we have to re- reevaluate, like, uh, was I not meant to, like, am I not uh, suited for that kind of opportunity? Uh, would I not be good at it? Um, is that something I want to do? Was there subconscious? Like I was, I didn't try as hard because, you know, I didn't really want to be there. Those are the kind of things that make you reassess. Um, so for example, uh, you know, before I ended up at uh, Wayne State and TechTown, uh, I was the finalist for two CEO jobs. Uh, and I didn't get either of them, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and in, in both cases, I would say they weren't perfect necessarily fits for me. Um, you know, do I think I should have gotten those jobs? Absolutely. Right. Um, certainly in one case, I'm really happy with the person who got it. I think he's doing a way better job with it than <laughs> I ever would have. Yeah. Um, and, and partly because, you know, that's not what I should have been doing. This is more of what I should be doing. I ran for political office uh, uh, eight years ago, and I didn't win, right? Um, and I learned a lot from that experience. Uh, I learned what I'm good at, what I'm not. I learned about uh, uh, better ways to tell your own narrative uh, than I was doing. I learned uh, who your real friends are and who aren't. I mean, you learned about what you can do, what you're, you know, what you're strong with, and what what you need to work on, right? Like those kinds of experiences uh, have been really formative. Um, and I would actually, you know, if this is sort of a chance for an old man to give advice to the kids coming up, I can't believe I just said that, but um, I would focus a lot on those, those kinds of moments. And uh, I would remember that every single person who you look, look at and go, oh, that person's successful, that person's successful, that person's successful, they all had failures. Lots and lots and lots of failures. And don't expect your path to be this linear, oh, I you know, graduated valedictorian from high school, went to a great college, got a good job, started a business, uh, made a billion dollars, started a foundation, became the president of some university, and then I died, right? Like, that's not how it works. There was three bankruptcies along the way. There was two divorces. There was all kinds of, you know, problems along the way. Your path that has all those kinds of winding roads and path problems, that's the same path that Thomas Edison and uh, Henry Ford and... Bill Gates took too, mm-hmm. right? Every single one of them had those kinds of problems. Yeah. Uh, are there any are there any books, softwares, apps, mm. mental models that have helped you become more efficient in what you do? Well, I tell you, if you want to talk about Detroit, you need to read two books: yeah. uh, Origins of the Urban Crisis by Tom Segrew. Uh, that's the real story of what happened, not the sort of you know whitewashed. Let me tell you about some riot story. And then the other one is Arc of Justice by Kevin Boyle, uh, which I think is a great page turner that, that takes those broad themes and brings in a very specific relief. Um, I read those books over and over again uh, because of, of that reason. Um, there's just so much to learn from it. Um, in terms of like the techie kind of world, what do you read? You know, I read a bunch of blogs. Um, Things like uh, Engadget and uh, Gizmodo kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, if you're looking for the leadershipy type stuff, I love all the Zingerman's books. Yeah. So um, Servant Leadership, you know the Ari Weinzweig, How to Build Better Leaders and Better Companies. 
uh, I really recommend those. I'm a big believer that culture starts with leaders, and if leaders are uh, demonstrating and propagating the kind of culture they want, and it's one of servant leadership, that is, you're all leaders here. I'm not more of a leader than you. Um, uh, uh, I think those are the best companies are built around those kind of principles. Um, starting businessy stuff. I don't know. There's everyone's got a blog and a podcast. Yeah. I think we put too much faith in. Oh, so and so did something cool once. Therefore, they must know how to teach it. You know, yeah. I was at a panel at Tech Techonomy like three or four or five years ago, and we had uh, Jack Dorsey interviewing. No, we had Dan Gilbert interviewing Jack Dorsey, and so Dan Gilbert from the Quicken World. Everyone in Detroit knows him. Jack Dorsey, who founded Square and then Twitter, um, and they were talking about how companies and uh, what tech. Uh, companies should do for urban for, for for city government how cities should use tech better i'm like really these two guys don't know anything about urban redevelopment no offense to all the stuff dan gilbert is doing but they're very different you know running a setting up a great technology infused mortgage company is very different from mm -hmm. urban planning they really are different concerns different goals i mean there's some overlap but I'm not a big believer that just because someone's successful in one area, almost always business, that they're necessarily going to be very successful. Usually, we ask them to do things in public policy. In other words, so be your own, be your own leader. Don't don't try to be the next Bill Gates. Be the first Ned Stabler. Yeah, cool. Well, uh, thanks, brother. Absolutely. If you have any, do you have any last words or if, if people want to, if people want to access Tech Town, where yeah. can they find you guys? TechTownDetroit.org. That's our website, TechTownDetroit.org. Uh, you can also call us. You can email me, Ned Stabler at Wayne.edu. Um, we have open office hours, um, both here at TechTown and then out in some of our neighborhood satellites where just come in and talk to us. You got ideas about a business. If we can't help you, we'll find somebody who can. Cool. Appreciate All right. it, man. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah.